0: Once again, good morning. I'm entitled uh, the message today, The Meaning Behind the Story. The Meaning Behind the Story. When I was a young boy, uh, we used to go to my grandma and grandpa's house in a small town in Missouri. And who lived next to my grandma and grandpa were my, a great aunt and a great uncle. And for whatever reason, I was very drawn to and attached to my great uncle. His name was Orville. How many of you know you don't name your kid Orville anymore? <laughs> okay, but that was pretty popular, or at least common back there. Well, I just it was enamored with uh, Uncle Orville. And uh, he seemingly took a, uh, an interest in me. And well, I'd go over and sit on the front patio. And the, the things that made Uncle Orville so special is he used to love three things. He used to love to drink Budweiser beer. And with his beer, he'd have Limburger cheese. Anybody know of Limburger cheese? And I smelled it. I never ate it. And so I never ate it. (laughs) And he loved to tell stories. He was the former fire chief in this small little community in Missouri. And he would always love to tell me stories. But after he got through telling me a story, he'd tell me the meaning of the story. And he said, all really good stories have a meaning behind them. Would you pray with me? Father, we celebrate your love, your grace, your mercy, the promises that you've made to us in Christ. We thank you for this Palm Sunday and the celebration that it brings. And I pray today that you will help us to more fully understand the meaning behind the story. In Jesus' name, amen. Oftentimes, there's a deeper and more powerful meaning behind certain books, songs, movies, fairy tales, and stories. How many of you have ever heard of Dr. Seuss? (laughs) A few of us, right? Uh, Many of you know that many grew up reading Dr. Seuss. Actually, his books were called message books. I don't know if you knew that. Because behind all of his writing... Was a political and a social message. I didn't realize that growing up. For instance, anybody ever heard of *The Cat in the Hat*? How many of you know that that really, uh, with his use of red, was he was talking about communism? Go back and read it. You can find one. And his whole thing was about the power of persuasion. Anybody heard of his story, *The Grinch* that stole Christmas? The meaning behind that was the commercialization and materialistic view behind Christmas and stealing its meaning. And I could go on and on today about movies or stories or songs or fairy tales, that there was always a meaning behind the message, but a lot of times we didn't catch that. So, is there a more significant meaning behind the story and celebration of Palm Sunday? I think there is. I really actually probably could put together messages that would last a month or two describing all the symbolism and all the meaning behind Palm Sunday because as Jesus began to enter into Jerusalem, everything that happened that week had a significant meaning. And a lot of times all we know is the story. We don't know the meaning behind the story. So I want to share some of that today. The discovery of greater meaning behind the story of Palm Sunday can provide us encouragement, inspiration, and even motivation. I've been in ministry a significant amount of time, and I find that when we come to Palm Sunday, sometimes, or lots of times, people celebrate it or or recognize it simply out of tradition. It's Palm Sunday. Or because others are celebrating, they celebrate. Others go to church, they go to church. But oftentimes they don't know the meaning or some of the deeper meaning behind the event. And I think it robs us of the greater significance and celebration that we can have when we don't really understand maybe some of the deeper meaning behind it. With that in mind, I'd like to invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. And you do find this whole idea of Jesus' entrance uh, into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, in in all of the Gospels. But I'm going to go and look through at Matthew, Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21. We're going to start at uh, verse 1, and I'll read through 11. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, At the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately they will send them. All of this was done that might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And they brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them and set them, set them on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, Hosanna, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, what I want to do is I want to break down some different places and locations and things here to try to bring a deeper meaning to the story. So, the first of all, you see a place by the name of Beth Bethphagee. It's a small little town, if you will, or village there. And, you you know, how many times do we read over something in the Bible and we just don't know what it means or it doesn't seem like it has a lot of significance. But whatever God does and whatever the story says and whatever the Bible reveals, there's always a reason that it's in there. So for Bethphage, it's a very important little town that we need to understand if we're going to more fully understand uh, Palm Sunday. Number one, the, the name uh, Bethphage means house of unripe figs. What does that mean to you? Okay, the house of unripe figs. Actually, what it means is that those figs were to be mature, but they hadn't ripened. And so Jesus, as you see later in the story, I only read you part of it. It said he looked over Jerusalem and he began to weep. Why? And why at a place called the house of unripe figs? is because he looked out over his people. He looked out over Jerusalem, and he saw that they had not matured. They did not more fully understand the plan and purposes of God for them, or they ignored them, or they rejected them. God sent communication. He sent prophets, and they rejected and resisted him because he didn't come in the way they wanted or the form they wanted. They basically denied him. They did not grow into maturity. That's significant for Palm Sunday. Because the house of unripe figs was not just Bethphagee. It's Fort Collins. With no disrespect, it can be us in here. If we have not grown into spiritual maturity the way God wants, in a sense, we are unripe figs. And Jesus looks over that and looks over people and churches and cities and regions and nations, and he weeps over them. So some of you, you read over Bethphage, no big deal, and you read, you read on, and so it means nothing to you. But today, hopefully, you you get some understanding is that when Jesus started his journey into Jerusalem and to Calvary's cross, he wept over the lack of maturity of people, human beings, that don't understand his plans or his purposes, or they reject his communication, or they ignore what he's trying to say and do in their life. The other thing, this is the place that he began his journey Into Jerusalem, and many people will tell you, and I'll mention that in a second, that this really has reference to the second coming. How many of you know Jesus is coming again? The Bible is very clear that there will be a second coming, and I'll talk about that in a moment. Also, Bethphage was on the eastern side of the Mount of Olives. Have anybody been to Jerusalem? A couple, yeah, man. When, when you when you go there, matter of fact, we need to plan a trip. The Bible comes alive. I remember this particular top place. Kathy and I had a chance one time to visit Israel. And so the Bible comes alive. You can see these places in your mind. But Bethphage was on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. And you say, well, what, what difference does that make? Well, several things. First of all, how many of you know that when the Bible says that Jesus is going to come back, he's going to return from the east? That was the significance of him saying that and starting his journey there. He's coming back from the east. How many of you know which way does the sun rise from? The east. Here's something that I thought everybody knew. But again, in my work, I I do a number of funerals and and, uh, done a whole lot of them. How many of you know which way the body is facing when they bury you? Does anybody know? The head is always to the west. Why? Did you know that? See, I, I thought everybody knew that. When I'm officiating at the at the graveside, I always stand at the head. And it's always to the west. Do you know why? It's because in our heritage, we have believed as a nation about the second coming of Christ. You don't realize that they bury you with your head because you're looking east which is a symbol and a sign of the return of Christ. People didn't know that. Every funeral you'll ever see done, they always bury you with your head to the west, and it's in symbolism of facing the east for the return of Christ. Is that exciting? No? I mean, I thought everybody knew that. I find that hardly anybody knows that. That even ties into how really... uh, the Judeo-Christian belief system fit into the American Republic. Huh? Is that interesting? So Bethphage, it's some place you really need to know if we're going to get the most out of Palm Sunday. Then it goes on. When they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives. I'd like to talk to you for just a moment about the Mount of Olives. Again, if you don't stop and slow down and understand and study and and research and realize there's a deeper meaning, you read right over that. Well, what the heck is the Mount of Olives? Okay, It is a particular location. But there's some things here I'd like to talk about. First of all, because I don't have time to go through all of it. First of all, olives. How many of you like olives in your martini? No. <laughs> We're at church. Don't say that. I've never had a martini. And I don't like olives, so that, that cancels me out right there. Olives are a symbol of peace, wisdom, purification, and power. Jesus starts his entrance into Jerusalem on his way to Calvary at the Mount of Olives, symbolizing peace, wisdom, purification, and power. It basically revealed his character, his nature, and his plan. The Mount of Olives. Olives is very important. It's very important in that particular time. How many of you know that from olives you get oil? Anybody ever heard of olive oil? Absolutely. This is why this is so significant. If you're going to understand Palm Sunday, what Jesus was doing and and the meaning behind the story. Oil is used in cooking and lighting for ointment, for grooming and hygiene. It was also for the anointing of special people like the priests. And they were anointed with oil. Or even in the New Testament, the Bible says, if if there's any sick among you, call the elders of the church and anoint them with what? Oil. Oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Jesus started his journey not only at Bethphage, but at the Mount of Olives. It's very, very significant. How many of you know from uh, uh, olive, the Mount of Olives, there's olive trees and you get branches, olive branches? It's a, a universal symbol of peace. How many of you know that there was a flood? And Noah was part of the flood, he brought all these animals on, and how many of you know there were two doves and he sent out the doves to see if the land was dry and they 'd come back uh, and they had no sign of that and one time the dove came back. do you know what he came back with? The Bible says, an olive branch that represented new life. Again, do you see all the significance Jesus didn't Just do things without significance. All there's a meaning behind this whole story, and even the olive branches. Also, it was at the Mount of Olives, and I remember in my mind very clearly when we were there. It was at the Mount of Olives after Jesus was crucified and was raised from the dead. Before he ascended, he met his disciples where? On the Mount of Olives. It was from the Mount of Olives that he ascended into heaven. The disciples sat there and watched him ascend into heaven. Then the angels came and said, hey, kind of what are you doing? Said, you're watching Jesus ascend. This same Jesus will come back in the same way at the same location. You know where Jesus is going to set foot when he comes back for his thousand year reign? The Mount of Olives, the place that he ascended. The place that he will come back again. Again, there's a meaning behind the story. Behind Bethphage, behind the Mount of Olives. The other thing that's significant in this story in Palm Sunday is the prophecy. Do you see that there? It says in verse 4, And this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt the foal of a donkey prophecy is a supernatural prediction or announcement by God on what's going to happen. A prophecy is a supernatural prediction or announcement from God on what's going to happen. Has anybody ever heard of March Madness? <laughs> if you haven't, I don't know where you've been lately. Anyway, my son Nathaniel and I, we just love sports together Watch basketball together. Well, he had to work the other day on Thursday. So I recorded one of the the games. And when he came home, I said, guess what? I know who won. And I told him. Kind of disappointed him. I'm not very good. It's like opening Christmas presents before Christmas. Anyway, now how did I know that? It's called the Internet. (laughs) I'd gone to the Internet. And I could tell him who had won because it was pre-recorded. I predicted the outcome of the game, but I really didn't. But the reality is God in his sovereignty has sent and does send prophets. And there's prophecies about what's going to happen. And in Zechariah in the Old Testament, chapter 9, verse 9 God was communicating to Israel that he was going to send his answer, his king, his Messiah, coming in on a donkey. Now, here's the problem. Is we see at the beginning of the week of Palm Sunday, people are yelling Hosanna and, and uh, waving palm branches. A week later, he wasn't who they wanted him to be. Or coming in the form that they wanted Him to. And they were the ones who were yelling, crucify Him. Have you ever noticed that inside yourself? That one moment we can be praising and thanking God and life's good. And then when life turns south or we get betrayed or we have a heartache or we lose a loved one. The next moment, inadvertently, we can be hacked at God and say, basically crucify Him. Because God is not acting the way we want. Doing what we want. We all have to be careful of that. And so 500 years before this happened, God said, this is how I'm going to do it. But then when it happened, they didn't like that. You know what they really wanted? They wanted Jesus to come in on a white horse. Because white and a horse were symbolic of victory and power and leadership. And the Messiah came on a stinking donkey. But it had already been predicted 500 years earlier. How many of you are almost 500? <laughs> How many of you remember and realize what happened 500 years ago? 500 years is a long time. So the reality was either they forgot that, but most likely that wasn't the case. Because in Judaism, talk about teaching your kids the Torah and the Word of God. That was just something you did. They probably knew this, but then when Jesus didn't come the way that they expected or they wanted, they rejected him. So what I'm trying to say is that even in Palm Sunday, we've got to be able to have our ears, spiritual ears open and listen to prophecies. I did a five-week series on the coming of the last days. A lot of that's prophetic. There's things that are coming. Now, what we don't want to do is then what I think the Jews is they ignored, rejected, or they didn't like what God was doing. So they ignored the prophecy. We need to be careful that we don't do that. The other thing I'd like to mention to you briefly is the donkey. It says you come in on a donkey. Now, didn't, Jesus didn't choose a donkey because there wasn't any other mode of transportation. Or there weren't any other animals around at that particular time. That's not the case. So why did Jesus choose a donkey? Not only to fulfill the prophecy, but listen to me. To show that leadership and victory and world change would best be fulfilled through humility. Wow. Does that speak to our culture? Leadership, victory, and world change should come through humility. Boy, in this political election, I think that might be true from the moment Jesus was born in a stable in Bethlehem to the moment that he rode a donkey into Jerusalem, to the moment that he was crucified on Golgotha, a Roman cross. He was exhibiting to you and I that it's humility that we need to be seeking. Humility is the key. Humility. Humility is the way forward. Humility is the way to gain supernatural and spiritual victory. The other thing about a donkey, and I could go on more, but, but I, I don't have enough time. It was called a beast of burden. Jesus rode on a beast of burden. Well, there can be so many things that that means. But I think a lot of that it means is that uh, actually to fulfill the purposes and plan of God, how many of you know that we're going to have to suffer some burdens? We're actually going to carry some some weights. Here in the West, we believe or want Christianity to be, you know, you come to Christ and life's going to be great. Isn't that how we kind of proclaim it? Man, Jesus can make your life full and fulfilled and prosperous and great. But you read the Bible, to become a Christian means you become a beast of burden. There's going to be a lot of heavy weight that you're going to have to, to face and fulfill as you fulfill the plan of God. But with Jesus sitting, if you will, reigning over our lives like a donkey, we'll still be victorious. And again, he is the conqueror of all of our burdens. You see some significance there? How about clothing? It says that they spread their clothing there. Verse 7, they brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them and set them on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes. How many of you are wearing rented clothes today? You don't own them, but you rented them. Nobody? How many of you are wearing clothing that you got free that didn't cost you anything? A couple maybe you're wearing Christmas clothes, still wearing Christmas clothes. The point here is that it's got to cost you something. To honor Messiah, to follow him, to believe in him, it's got to cost you something. They took of their own clothes and they sacrificed them so that Jesus could ride over them. Now, when the donkey rode over the clothes, they probably weren't in really good shape. So they, were, they had to have been willing, if you will, to, to lose that garment, that item of clothing, on behalf of honoring Christ. How many of you know that sacrifice... Is a huge part of the Christian faith. So Palm Sunday. Do you see there's meaning behind the story? Sometimes we just read the story. All we know is the story. But we don't know the meaning behind the story. Hopefully today you're starting to see some meaning behind the story. The clothes and laying them down and putting them are really just represent a cost. And a willingness to sacrifice because he is that Worthy. How about palm branches? Palm Sunday got its name because during this time, people cut uh, palm branches. And they began to wave them in the the air. They began to lay them down so that that, uh, Jesus on the donkey could ride over them. So what in the world does that mean? The palm branch universally around the world is a symbol of victory, And immortality of heaven and of paradise. When they were waving the palm branches, they were basically saying Jesus is the answer to human evil, to darkness, to sin, to death, to the limitations of this world. That's why Palm Sunny is so significant. Matter of fact, we didn't do it this year, and I I could have, I should have done it. We should have palm branches in here. I'm, if you will send me to Palm Springs about a week before Palm Sunday, I'll tell you, I'll get some palm branches. Anybody want to make a deal with me? <laughs> and then we can wave them. OK, I'll be waving them all the time I get them out there <laughs> as I get off the 18th tee right <laughs> The reality is that was significant. They were saying, Jesus you are the victor over evil and death and sin. And, and you are the one that gives us entrance eventually someday into paradise, into heaven. There's something significant about the palm branch. And I'll have DJ and the band come back up. And the last point today, trying to give some meaning behind the story, is what does it say there in verse 9? They said, Hosanna! Hosanna! Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. You know what? We don't use the word Hosanna in our culture today. But in the church, we need to probably a little bit more. Hosanna is a word of celebration and joy. And what it means is save us. It means I beg you to save me. It means please deliver. It was the word that was used both to put focus on the human being and the human need. But then it also had focus on to the one who could meet the human need. I think it might be worthy for all of us in coming days as we pray to insert, include and use the word Hosanna. This last week, as we as we know, we start Holy Week now. But I, last week I was preparing and I found in prayer, I just say Hosanna, Hosanna for me. Hosanna for my wife, Hosanna for my kids, Hosanna for our church, Hosanna for our city, Hosanna for America. Basically, what I was saying in that one word is save us, is deliver us, is rescue us from those obstacles and those things that hold us down and hold us back. The sin that so easily entangles the division that I see going on in our republic, in our nation People are just so overwhelmed with so much. Hosanna, hosanna! And it doesn't even have to be private in your prayers. Even at church, once in a while, when I make a good point, the Amen section, and instead of saying Amen, go Hosanna, and everybody will look at like you look at you like you're weird. Matter of fact, if you even say Amen out loud, some are thinking you're weird. But I'm saying. Keep it going. Where's the amen corner? I ah, give you guys a clap. That was great. So in the future, if something hits you and you don't want to say amen, maybe even in your heart, just say hosanna. It's really significant. So I hope today, with something that I said, you realize that there. Is probably a deeper meaning behind the story of Palm Sunday. And as we understand that and learn that and grow in that, I believe our celebration can increase. But you know what? It also creates conviction in me because I realize sometimes when I get stuck and I'm not growing, Jesus weeps over my lack of growth because I'm an unripe fig. Where did I get that? Matthew 21 from Palm Sunday. So anyway, I hope today gave you some things to think about, to chew on, uh, to help you understand that uh, behind the story, there is a deeper meaning. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for our time this morning. Thanks for what we've learned. Thank you for Palm Sunday. And we just celebrate in Jesus name. Amen. Let's all stand and sing our clothing song. God bless.
1: God. When I lost some wonder, consider all the worlds Thy hands have made. I see the sun, I hear. Cheers. Mm-hmm. that God is unjust-bearing sent Him to die. I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing He bled and died away my sin, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. I'll break the How I'll break the wall. then sings my soul. Come and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart,
0: and I shall bow. hey, uh, this begins Holy Week. I'll be praying for you that you'll be encouraged and you'll be inspired and the Lord will draw close to you. Friday night, Good Friday service, 5.30, 6.30 here. Then next Sunday, 8.30 for the breakfast if you want to come for the breakfast and then we'll have a wonderful uh, service at 9.30. Go in His grace. Go in His peace. God bless you. Thank you. Love you. Bye-bye.